the trope talk for this uh, this uh, month <laughs> was uh, Indigo. Um, why are you no, crying? No, it's fine. <laughs> Editing Indigo is preemptively uh, preemptively banging your head against a keyboard, no. but this is a delight. Let's talk about some magnificent bastard, shall we? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and as always, I'm joined by Red. What's cracking? And Indigo, who I will not force uh, to introduce herself. We put you on the spot, Indigo, the last two times. We're going we're gonna to let you sit this one out. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch you over in the Q&A section of the podcast. Um, Just to keep you we, guessing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, you got to gotta keep, it, uh, keep it dynamic. Can't let the audience get um, too, uh, comfortable. Get too, too comfortable. Uh, however, uh, we will do exactly what we do on all of our podcasts, which is start off with a discussion of our last two videos on Overly Sarcastic Productions. Hell and then yeah. in the second half of the pod, we're going to take some questions and uh, get some answers. So, uh, Red, how have you been these uh these last two weeks the first half of february went hard um mm. on like basically all cylinders and these last two weeks on the channel have actually been fairly chill <laughs> yeah yeah it's um yeah well you know the hades and persephone video going up definitely shook things up a bit uh yeah <laughs> but it, it's it's in like the nice chill way where the channel is getting a lot more traffic and we just kind of get to sit back and be like this is nice yeah no it's uh it's been nice i um barring one night where i started and finished uh, an animatic which actually just went up yesterday uh yep. for those of you listening on release day for the pod uh barring that one shockingly productive night i've been keeping it pretty chill honestly um you know sort of scripting stuff mostly rather than getting back to the grind as it were yeah osp has some stretches of time where it's just like go 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 and then some stretches of time where it's like <gasps> Okay, breathe. Yeah. So yeah, my my last video, uh, the history summarized on South African history was one of those like head down, go, 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 get it done. Mm. And then after I finished that the past two weeks since that's gone up, it's just been like, whew, okay, light. Breathe. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, things are easy now. I I'm working with topics that I already have previous familiarity with because that's the thing <laughs> in South Africa was it's like it was a really really cool episode to research, but I was like entirely starting from scratch yeah. because you know with with anything in you know Mediterranean history I have you know some basis for it, but with South Africa it's like okay I know there are white people in South Africa <laughs> how. And who? And then I was like, oh, okay, the Dutch. Cool. All right. And so everything was like, you know, first time exposure to all of this. So yeah. that's part of the thing that's really fun about the episodes that I'm just like completely walking in blind to. Um, you were also, it's, uh, every step is a discovery. Not to not to put you on the spot, but uh, you were also holding yourself to a very high standard with this specific video. I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing what exactly that standard was oh, yeah. so, um in the process of, of researching this video i of course i you know I was, I was looking a little bit at um trevor noah's born a crime because he's probably in uh, america one of the most popular you know people of, of South African background, because um, he's, you know, he's from South Africa. Also, mm -hmm. Charlize Theron, most people do not know, is South African. Oh, but hey. uh, <laughs> Trevor Noah is like, his whole thing of coming to The Daily Show is like, ha-ha, tis I. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing was in the process of like reading uh, the, the excerpts of Born a Crime that I was looking at, uh, mostly the beginning stuff where he talks a lot more of the background and apartheid, I was like, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to like research this so hard and I have to make this video so good. I've got to do it for Trevor. It's like <laughs> just this, in case. Just, just in case I've got to make sure that it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> because I've got like I've got Trevor like up, you know, like poster on the wall, not really, but like he's like always in the back of my mind like I got to make sure this is perfect cuz like 
got to do this for Trevor, man. Got to do it for Trevor. So um, whenever I'm doing like, you know, the history of some place in ancient Greece or whatever, it's like, you know, who cares? But now it's like, no, this is like, this is legit. And like, he was the the person who I put like all of my, uh, all of my, my aspirations of of how good the video could be. That was my, my motivating factor through all this (laughs) is as silly as it sounds. No, I mean, you know, it, it helps remind us that this is, this is a real modern thing. Like, I saw a few people in the comments being like, that ended how recently? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Surprise, you know, it, it, 1994. Well, yeah. 1990, depending on how you're counting, but yeah. Like, that's not that's not distant or ancient or anything. Like, I mean, I, I think you did a very good job kind of building up from the ground up to be like, here's how all of these complex threads wove together to create the South Africa we recognize today. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, yeah, but the most recent major historical development was like a year or two before we were born. <laughs> That's yeah. way too close for comfort. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's one of the, you know, people joke about like, oh, the, you know, the 20 year rule for history is kind of like a nonsense thing. It's just like mm-hmm. a, an arbitrary cutoff. But for me, it's like if we're getting into things that I was alive for, no, 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 get me out of here. Yeah, that's not history. Uh, that's not allowed to be history. So <laughs> it's mean. not the 20 year rule. It's the me rule, which is, you know, <laughs> approximately uh, close. But uh, yeah. the me rule covers a little more time. But yeah, yeah. yeah, it's bad enough when we get into the the 1900s. But once we like get like after the Berlin Wall falls, it's like, OK, I can't do this. Yeah, so, no. <laughs> um, that's one of the again, another one of the difficulties is like, you know, with the do it for Trevor thing. But it's also like this is a history that so many people lived through themselves and are living in the aftermath of. So, you yeah. know, I the way that I presented it in the video was a little bit of like, hey, we beat apartheid. Well, they beat apartheid. You know, job <laughs> we, done. Hooray! Great work, team. <laughs> yeah, but it's like America no, salutes like, there's you. Still, like a lot of stuff going on that obviously I was not about to spend another five minutes getting into. But mm. um, I, I say in the end of the video, like I could have talked about many, many, many more things. And if I was perfect, I would have, but that would have made this about a, you know, conservatively like a 30 minute long video and realistically like an hour long video and Mm -hmm. I would have died trying to do that. So I I felt bad that, you know, as soon as I like finished writing the script, I'm like, oh, but I left so many things out. And when I got the comments of like, oh wait, but you left out this, I'm like, no, it's okay. I know, I know. Um, (laughs) Trust me, I'm aware. Yeah, Yeah. it, it was a video that was rewarding because I was able to go in, you know, completely blind and feel like I did a pretty good job, you know, obviously not fantastic because I'm not a a person who studied this, you know, in an academic setting, but like, I feel like I did a pretty good job, but it's just one of those videos that because I'm starting from scratch, it takes a lot more mental effort to get up to speed because if I'm like researching some aspect of Roman history that I've like, you know, heard about a couple times and like maybe I, you know, I brushed through it in class but never really got into, it's easy because you have anchor points, but starting from scratch, Mm. it's tough. So I'm really proud of the video that I made, but oh boy, uh, did I need a nap after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think, and uh, it went over pretty well. Like, uh, I was reading through the comments. Yeah, I I did say, there was like a, a sentiment I saw a couple times, which I thought was just absolutely hilarious because there were a couple people who were like, Blue, uh, I like the video, but gosh, man, you gotta stop telling us racism is bad. Like, we know. Who do you think we are? And it's like, I'm sorry. How do you think he was going to talk about South Africa without bringing up racism (laughs) and the badness thereof? (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, it's 
obviously when you're talking about a system that is such a racially motivated thing with you know something like apartheid um obviously mm. you're going to get into like you know obviously telling one group of people that they are inferior is uh kind of terrible but yeah what i tried to accomplish with the rest of the video was not to say like oh look how bad the dutch were for doing all these things or like oh look how look how awful these british were i think this is actually one of the nicest i've been about britain in a video <laughs> yeah um, but <laughs> my, like, my attempt was just to like let the history speak for itself and obviously you know i i tried to come down pretty hard on apartheid because mm -hmm. you know i can't let them get too comfortable that system yeah. that doesn't exist anymore hot take um, racism bad <laughs> don't do yeah but i i i feel like i've gotten better at not moralizing in my videos um i used to be really bad at that uh yeah. and i'm better at it now that's what practice does you learn you get better yeah but yeah it it was kind of difficult to straddle that like balance of making sure, yeah, racism is actually really, really bad. And it's terrible that this system existed in the first place without like getting to the point of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we know, we know blue racism, <laughs> racism is indeed bad. So I tried well, to focus I more on like the, how did they institute these systems and how did these like mechanisms of oppression take shape? Because there are a lot of yeah. ways to do discrimination. There is, let's just rattle some off. There's slavery, <laughs> segregation, and genocide are the top two that come to mind. Oh yeah. Two of those didn't end up happening. So I tried to explain like, why was segregation the move that the Afrikaners went for instead of, instead of the other two? Because there are a lot of racist systems that would have gone for one or the other. So I tried to show like, mm. why was this the one that they chose? And in talking about discrimination, obviously the undertone is, yeah, it's pretty terrible. But yeah. I wanted to explain not just like, oh, look at how nasty they are for being racist, but why was this what they did? Because yeah. there are a lot of really interesting parallels between South African history and American history. There are some pretty strong contrasts as well, which is good to recognize. If I was about four years younger, I would have made a uh, uh, one of those those videos on the patterns in history. Where it's like, and these two things are actually exactly the same. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! This the first ten minutes of this podcast is just me ragging on younger me. That's fine. <laughs> um, but there there are a lot of things that I wanted to try and and point to, even if I couldn't fully dissect any of them. But showing like, okay, here's a little bit of what's going on here, and now you have this anchor point for you to go and learn more about because like that's the whole point of Black History Month is you know you go in and you go out learning more than you did beforehand so if I could accomplish that I feel like I did good. Yeah I mean I, I think just at the basic level because a lot of our audience is American surprising amount of it also isn't but you know that that's just the case. I think that the way that the history of racism gets taught in the U.S. is um not to make a terrible joke but you know kind of black and white especially in the Racism was ended by Martin Luther King in the 1960s, and everything's been hunky-dory since then. And it's like, that's not true. But not only is that not true, the history of South Africa is kind of one of those illustrations of like, no, 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 this was still happening a lot, <laughs> systemically, <laughs> recently. Like, yeah. not only do, like, some of you remember it, <laughs> or, you know, were babies when it happened, your parents definitely remember it, and... I, I think that that's a very important perspective to have because it's like, oh, yeah, hot take, racism bad. But it's like, no, no, but like, yeah, it's important to remember because until shockingly recently, that was a hot take. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. people were like, no, I mean, it's sure, but it's just the way things are done. It's actually cool. You just don't understand because cultural differences. It's like, no, I think it's OK to say that this is just categorically <laughs> a shit thing to do. Um, yeah. Anyway. So I. Not to get too yeah, I, hashtag spicy. I mean. Oh, God, that joke works on several <laughs> levels because that's like white people spicy. The white people hot take of racism bad. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
Um, so the thing with racism is that uh, I think we can agree it's perpetrated by people who are absolute bastards. Okay. Red, speaking <laughs> of, you put out a video on Magnificent Bastards the other uh, day. Sick transition, bro. <laughs> so Transition smooth. of a lifetime. <laughs> no one's going to notice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the trope talk for this, uh, this uh. month <laughs> was... Uh, Indigo, um, why are you no, crying? No, it's fine. <laughs> Editing Indigo is preemptively... Uh, preemptively banging your head against a keyboard, no. but this is a delight. Let's talk about some Magnificent Bastard, shall we? Sorry. <laughs> peek behind the curtain of how we make Indigo's life harder. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so the trope talk this month was uh, on the subject of Magnificent Bastards, which was uh, was fun. Um, it was very interesting. I, w- when you were talking about, like, comfort zones and stuff, uh, there are some tropes that I'm just, like, that I'm a big fan of. They tend to be very simple, and they tend to be very effective. And those are the ones that I like talking about because they basically just turn into like, and isn't it cool when they did this? And wasn't it lame when they did that? You know, just like, just me getting to gush about stuff that I like rather than having to go into depth about like, this began in 1608 when someone did this thing and then it was adapted by this guy. It's like, those are fun in their own way, but they're very research heavy. These ones I just get to sit down and write. Now the, the concept of the Magnificent Bastard is pretty fun. It's got some overlap with like the pure evil villain, which I did a while ago. And I like them for similar reasons in that they are very simple bad guys that are very effective. And they, they tend to be the ones that are just categorically fairly popular. Like, you know, like the Disney villains. You know, people yeah. people like Disney villains because they are all the same. <laughs> because Disney <laughs> is very formulaic on a basic level. And th- there's nothing wrong with that formula. Uh, I mean, there's stuff wrong with Disney, but I think that the way that they write their stories is fairly like, okay, yeah, the, you, you've identified the key ingredients of a good villain, and you put them all together, and then you put it in an interesting character design, and you call it a day, and that's fair. And also, for what it's worth, there's a difference between the different eras of Disney. So if we're talking about, like, you know, Silver Age, like, 40s and 50s stuff, that's different <laughs> from, like, you know, the Golden Age in the 90s, which is different from, you know, things they're doing now. So oh, yeah, yeah. even when we talk about Disney villains, there is, like, a lot of, like, categorical variety in between the, you know, the, just by by time point, really. Yeah. But anyway, well, yeah. you know, when people are talking about Disney villain, they mean, like, Ursula and Jafar and Scar and, you know, the the ones that were, like, cool, Maleficent, sort of, well, kind of, you know, whatever. Uh, The ones that were just, like, cool and suave and good at their job and then uh, went nuts in the third act and died or something, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, the the Magnificent Bastard archetype is, like, it's, it's not the same as pure evil. There's actually not a lot of overlap because pure evil is, like, just villain to the hilt, whereas Magnificent Bastard is, like, arguably villain, often definitely villain, but, like motivated and intelligent and like doing stuff for reasons rather than lulls and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I mean, there was a lot of discussion in, you know, the comments, but most of it was about like, would this character qualify? And it's like, a lot of this is personal preference. I I think a lot of the time, all you can do is be like, I don't think this character qualifies because they're not that, you know, effective or smart or lawful evil as it were. But also, you you say in the video itself that there's, in the sort of, like, pie chart of what makes a pure evil villain, you know, half of it is charisma, which is mm-hmm. basically entirely subjective, but the other half, which you, you know, elucidate in the video, are distinct traits that can qualify someone as or as not a pure evil villain, like, you know, the well, having goals, bastard, having yes. principles, having, yeah, so all yeah. that stuff. So, I mean, yeah. some of it is subjective, but, like, there is, there is a little bit of, like, structure to it. Yeah, that's, that's what I was shooting for. But, like, I would see people in the comments being like, oh, so not the Joker? And it's like, definitely not the Joker. Oh, <laughs> Are absolutely you serious? <laughs> um, yeah. But, like, 
you know, I, I understand it. You know, you look at Magnificent Bastard, and if the only qualifier was looking at the villain and going, ah, Magnificent, like, that just means it's a guy you like. <laughs> it means it's yeah. a villain that you think is cool. Like, that's not the only qualifier. And I, I mean, as mentioned in the video, David Xanatos, archetypical example. He is so good at it. And actually, a, a funny story about that. So a few people in the comments were like, fun fact about Gargoyles, half the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation is in that show, which is true. Uh, David Xanatos is voiced by Jonathan Frakes, a.k.a. Riker. And um, I don't want to, I don't want to be rude, but having watched a lot of Next Gen, I was genuinely surprised that he can really act. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's like, he's so good as David Xanatos. Like, he's just so emotive. And then, you know, you watch Next Gen, and it's like, his job is to be stoic and pretty and lean on stuff. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool, whatever, you know, play to your strength. But so, yeah, no, David Xanatos is really, really good um, as a villain, and he's, he's very smart. It's super cool. It is also amazing what difference that uh, good directing and a good fit of actor to character can do for acting mm. skill involved. We've all seen the prequels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I've read an anecdote that uh, basically when they were like, hey, Jonathan Frakes, we've, we've got this new Disney cartoon. We were wondering if you maybe wanted to play the villain. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Disney cartoon. And then he looks at the script. And uh, for those of you who have not watched Gargoyles, uh, I believe David Xanatos's second line is, pay a man enough and he'll walk barefoot into hell. And when he read that line, he was like, maybe this isn't just like another Disney show. <laughs> maybe this is actually going to be kind of cool. And he was right. It was. So, yeah, everyone should watch that show. Not season three. Once again, a show that was really good probably shouldn't have gotten the last season. Anyway, uh, but yeah, no, he, he's a, just the archetypical example in my mind. He's just he's so smart and such a dick sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is, when we were discussing this trope, actually, uh, I had in mind an example of a not well-written Magnificent Bastard, like one that just failed to be what it was clearly trying to be. And <laughs> the comment section totally figured out who that character was, even though I didn't end up actually discussing them in the video because I... I, I try to avoid just being like, this, this is what not to do, because it, it's mean, even though it is a very useful example. Uh, and that character was uh, Moriarty from Sherlock. Um, oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were discussing this. Like, what, I was trying to figure out, like, all right, some of these characters work really well. Why did this one flop so hard? And, uh, yeah. it, you know, sometimes when you're trying to figure out what makes a character work, it, it does help to see a character that didn't pull it off. And it's like, okay, with Moriarty, well, you know, that actor's good. The character had charisma. What was wrong? Oh, the part where uh, nothing he did made sense. Uh, I think that it's, would be the big problem. Yeah, I think and it's also a good example for the same reason that when you talk about uh, Sherlock with the, the whole thing of the speckled band of like him mm. putting it together and then the, the next frame is like, excuse me, my father. And Sherlock's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a snake. snake. Yeah. Um, it, Sherlock in that scenario doesn't really work for the same reason that Moriarty doesn't really work. So when we yep. talk about like what the pitfalls of a trope can be, it is often helpful to look beyond even that specific trope because a lot of those particular pitfalls in this case, you know, making the hand of the writer extremely obvious yeah. is just a very, very broad reaching <laughs> pitfall to, to try and avoid. So yeah. um, I've got a, a, a case where rant. the trope has wider implications, which is always very cool. I've got a whole rant about that. Uh, but I will say that uh, if you want more thoughts on this specific thing, uh, you don't need to go to us. H-Bomber Guy, great YouTuber, has a video called uh, Sherlock is Garbage and Here's Why. It's uh. like two hours of hot takes. It's it's really, it was cathartic for me to watch because I did watch Sherlock when it was airing. I, I was intrigued. I was like, wow, modern Sherlock Holmes, how creative. And it was, you know, first episode, had a good time. 
And then I just kind of kept watching it. After a while, I was like, I think this might be stupid. Oh. <laughs> I think around the time they brought in the secret third sibling, I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, I mean, well, that was like the last episode. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, still, it, even before then, it was like, hmm, you know, I, I was expecting this to go somewhere, and then it, it didn't. That's odd. And then the stuff with Moriarty was frustrating. And, and there's a thing that uh, H. Bomber Guy specifies in the video, which is essentially it's a show that promises that eventually there will be a really cool payoff, which is a tool to get you to keep watching. Because it's like, <laughs> all right, that didn't work, but maybe next time they'll really get this together and wrap it all up and then they don't. And it's like, okay. And then, of course, the final episode where it's like, ah, don't worry, we've wrapped it all up. It's like, oh, so that's what you were aiming for? <laughs> Wow. There's so many problems that I could list about that show, but those aren't the point. Although, actually, they kind of feed into the problem with the writing in Moriarty, which is that he is basically a magical genius, and not only is he a magical genius, he's a magical villain, which basically means he wins when the writer needs him to win. In fact, I don't think Sherlock ever wins against Moriarty, which is just, it's so odd as a narrative choice. It's like, if this is supposed to be a battle of wits, but one of them is always winning... I don't understand how this is supposed to seem like a battle. It, uh, it also doesn't help that Moriarty brings a gun to a wits fight. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, ha ha, <laughs> you've outsmarted me. I'm outie. And it's, uh, it was it, like, it's very much a case of like, bet you didn't see this coming. That, well, but that's quite literally it, apparently. Like a lot of the narrative thought behind it was like, what's the thing the audience will never predict? And it's like, if the audience will never predict it, it's probably because it's like, a bad idea or stupid, not because it's so genius that nobody watching the show could have ever seen it coming. Like, lots of writers watch this show. Lots of people who write other adaptions of Sherlock Holmes probably watch this show. And on some level, it really did feel like there was this fundamental tenet behind the writing of that show that nobody was ever allowed to get even close to how these two were operating, which on paper, like I've said, is... is it seems like the perfect way to write a genius. Like, oh, they're automatically going to be smarter than everybody because nobody else ever gets the chance to see the things they see. And, you know, anyway, uh, it, it's just, it, it frustrated me a lot. Uh, but it ended up being, like, a very useful tool for me when I was writing through this because it was like, okay, why exactly does this work and why doesn't this work? And I think the fundamental problem was the writing behind Moriarty was so strongly like, we are going to make a character that is so unbeatable that everyone will think he's the coolest. Basically what that means is that either he's gonna be really cool or he's gonna be utterly insufferable. <laughs> and he ended up being insufferable and frustrating to deal with, so. Yeah, that was my uh, that was my secret hidden hot take in the Magazine yeah. Bastards trope talk, the one that I didn't actually put in the video, but I, I was using in my mind to to help me figure out what were good examples, what were bad yeah. examples, why did and didn't they work? The concept of the good bad example is very important. It's also a, a, a good it's a good thing to have tacked with, I suppose, because I mean, mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about the difference between like good media criticism and bad faith media criticism and understanding a good bad example as a tool to figure out how to write it better is a lot more helpful and nicer for everyone than just like, and this is the dumbest thing and just not yeah. going any deeper than that. So yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, every bad thing gonna... is a learning experience <laughs> if you take the right approach to it. We're going to have to move on really quick, but I did want to say that the, the video recommendation, Sherlock is garbage and here's why, despite the title, it is actually two hours of extremely insightful uh, an analysis on why the show <laughs> is so hard to watch after a while. So I, I genuinely do really recommend it. Uh, H-Bomber Guy has a lot of really insightful analysis on stuff, and it's very cool. So, yeah, check that out for the hot takes that I did not put in the video. Yeah. 
We'll throw a link to that in the show notes below if you're interested in the actual video itself. Heck yeah. I have a plug, shocker, before we move on to the Q&A portion. <laughs> Hi there, Indigo here. I recently started another podcast that just went up the Monday that this episode released, so if you're interested in media criticism on the most face value way it possibly could be given, I've got a new podcast called Movie Struck. It's available on all streaming platforms. There'll be a link in the show notes below if you're interested in checking it out. It's not always P-affiliated in any way other than I am on it. So <laughs> um, we're going we're gonna to move on to the Q&A because that's what you're here for. Actually, Heck though, yeah. one funny thing is that it is, uh, it is you and <laughs> it is, uh, it is one, one of, of the, the greens. greens. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the OSP expanded universe. <laughs> yeah, with that, uh, with that all said, let's move on to the Q&A. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the podcast, where we answer your questions and give you our answers. Okay, this is going great. <laughs> <laughs> no retakes. No retakes. We're using this. We're using it. <laughs> this is the other side of me telling you guys that you're not allowed to do any retakes, as I also am not allowed to do any retakes. <laughs> um, yeah. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you would like to support the channel, support the podcast... Head over to Patreon, see some cool art, and uh, hang out with some cool folks. Help us keep the lights on. This question is from Luinator. To everyone, if you had a chance to get a piece of art, painting, statue, song, poem, etc. about you by any artist ever, who would you like to commission and for what? Um, oh, that's a fun question. I, this my, is so self-indulgent. I want Sappho. I want Sappho to tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> oh, oh, that rules. That'd be pretty great. <laughs> that oh, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, my first thought was I would love to get um, uh, a statue uh, made by Michelangelo, but like yep. with like clothes, please, because I, I don't. <laughs> no one, no one needs that. That's weird. I, I like. I love Renaissance art, but like, put a robe on that. Like, I like when we get to Bernini, and he actually like. Does the Marvel? Yeah, okay. Fuck Michelangelo. Get get me Bernini, because <laughs> his whole thing was that he can like sculpt with not just like the human form, which was like the big thing in the 1500s, but he's like, I'm gonna put like a silk robe in marble on this mm. statue, and everyone's like, what? Yeah. Really, they're Italian, so they're like, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Who no. Are... Get me a get me a Renaissance statue. I'd be all over that. <laughs> Who were all those Renaissance sculptors that were sculpting like hot Satan statues? Because that was like the hotness in the Renaissance. Oh, know? yeah. No, that was like that was Baroque. So like yeah. later 15 and then 1600s was and like they were we usually need, wearing we need stuff. hot Satan statues from our church. And then someone <laughs> yeah. made it. It's like, no, no, no. Too hot. And they hired the too guy's sexy. brother who made Dial an even back. hotter one. Yeah. <laughs> I want I want um, Michael Crichton, the guy who wrote Jurassic Park, to somehow write a sci-fi tale Warning people about the dangers of science without any like moral stuff behind them and the and the threats of innovation, but like about my <laughs> actual life. Like I don't know what the threat there is, but I want Michael Crichton to have to figure it out. Perfect. <laughs> Beautiful. Unedited podcasts, that's the existential threat. <laughs> <laughs> this could happen to you. He did the Andromeda strain as well as Jurassic he Park, did, right? He's done like, pretty much um, uh, um, I'm a big fan of his. He did Jurassic Park, he did the Andromeda strain. He did uh, wow. I think it's called Swarm. And it's essentially like Jurassic Park but with nanobots instead. Um, he's done a lot of basically any sci fi he's desperately trying to tell us, yo. Think about what you're... Don't ask if you should, not just if you could. Constantly. It's very funny. You know, I'm such a fan of that because yeah. I, I love the, the 
the branch of sci-fi that's like, listen, y'all, the future's dope as fuck, but please don't meddle with forces beyond your comprehension. <laughs> it's just it's so good. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's in the spirit of the original yeah. sci-fi novel, Frankenstein, where it's like, you know what? It could be cool as hell, but maybe be careful a little. I mean, it, it takes that sort of eldritch horror aspect and really just drives home how actually horrifying it could be. Nanotech still freaks me out to this day, and I haven't even read Swarm. <laughs> I just know I think it's called Swarm. that any von Neumann machine has the potential to go horribly wrong. I mean, it's almost beat for beat what the novel version of Jurassic Park is, but with nanobots. It's very, ah. very fun. They don't go, they don't start a nanobot theme park, but like... <laughs> they do that would be pretty boring. technology that they have no ability to control that later hunts them down it's very similar um it was mm. good though so if you like jurassic park you may like what i'm 90 percent sure is titled swarm it's been a minute since i read it jurassic I, park s- oh. slightly returning to to the premise of the question <laughs> i here's another thing that i would like to commission a, a famous <laughs> writer in history to to do you know like those walks where you go on a walk and your mind just goes like absolutely somewhere else. <laughs> like I would like to have a story that's just like, okay, so blue set out for a walk and then his mind just wandered, except it's written by Dante. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I want just Dante to write a fucking 100 canto long epic poem about just some random ass like daydream I'm having while walking to and from like the coffee I have shop. A question for you, blue. <laughs> if you, so this account puts you in, like Virgil's, not Virgil's place. Um, the guy in the Inferno is getting shown around. Is that Virgil? No, he's Dante. That's Dante. <laughs> That's Dante. <laughs> right. Obviously, um, I am not the person on this channel who summarizes mythology <laughs> um, or literature, <laughs> what have you. Like, so if you're Dante, where are you getting like shown a tour of? Like, if this is Blue's Inferno, right? So are you going through <laughs> hell or are you getting shown around like Boston? I, no, yeah, I'm just on my way for, for a coffee and back home. <laughs> and then it's just like the, the journey through hell. Because the whole thing with the Inferno is it's like, oh, I was just like walking around in these woods and then uh, hell happened. It's just like, here I am just like going on my coffee run or my tea run more likely. <laughs> and then suddenly my brain is just like, let's go think about something else. You know, honestly, this bit may have gone a little bit too far off the rails. I don't entirely know where I'm going with the rest <laughs> of this. On my way to my local crepery, I was uh, <laughs> suddenly struck by Dante's crepery. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But yeah, oh, well, <laughs> Jurassic Park is really Truly <laughs> an adventure. We'll move on to another question Absolutely before we, we uh, exclusively yeah, let's do before it. we write the spec script for Dante's Capri over the course of the next 30 minutes. But this mm. question comes from one of our users on Discord. If you want to ask a question for the podcast, head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord. This question comes from Phoenix1410 for Red and Blue. Which of the lost epic poems of the epic cycle, Syria, Ethiopis, Little Iliad, etc., do you wish would have survived and why? I hope you all have a lovely day. I'm actually not at all familiar with the lost epics because if they don't exist, I haven't read them. (laughs) Yeah, so here, here's basically the thing. I, I pulled up the Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> so there, there's a list online, if, if you look it up, of what the other epic poems are. The Cypria is the first nine years of the conflict and, like, the lead-up to the Trojan War, um, specifically with, like, the Judgment of Paris and stuff. It's 11 books. Next is the Iliad. Then there are three books um, that are, um, like, five, four, and, and two books, chapters each. Um, Ethiopis, Little Iliad, Iliopers, which is the sack of Troy. That's only two books long. That, how is the sack of Troy only two books? Um, <laughs> and then there are three books on the return. There's the Nostoi, which is everybody else's return, which is only five books long. 
There's the Odyssey, which is 24 books long, obviously. Mm -hmm. Then there's the Telegony, which is, it's like another Odysseus thing. It's it's his death. Weird. But the one that I'd be curious to read is the Iliupersis, either that or the Cypria, because like the first nine years of the Trojan War, obviously not as eventful, but like, I would like to know what the original ones of that are like. The reason Mm -hmm. that like the Iliad and the Odyssey are the ones that survived is because they were much longer stories. They were probably added to over time, but without getting too far into the rabbit hole of like Homeric poetry, the Iliad and the Odyssey survived because they were the ones that people liked the most and had the most interest in copying over, but mm. Cypria and the Iliopersis probably also would have been pretty sweet, even though they would be much shorter by comparison. Hmm. I am also in the camp that counts the Aeneid as part of the epic cycle. I know that is not like canon, <laughs> but I don't fucking care. It's 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 a Trojan War story. It's an mm. epic poem. It counts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So which one is the yeah, little I don't know. Iliad? I mean, yeah. Um, the little Iliad is events after Achilles' death, including the building of the Trojan horse and the awarding of arms to Odysseus. So a lot of these stories are actually covered in, in later Greek tragedies. So there's like um, Hecuba, Ajax, and a couple other plays talk about events of the Trojan War that aren't covered in the Iliad and the Odyssey with the understanding of like, oh, these are stories that we have as epic poems, but like uh, Euripides, Sophocles, and, and people wrote these as tragedies. So a lot of these stories we do still have, and there are some people who... um. Oh, Christ, what's his name? Uh, There's one guy uh, who basically wrote his own versions of a lot of the epics. So we kind of have like secondhand versions of most of these through this other dude. Hold on, I need to find this guy's name. Um... One thing I really appreciate about the corpus of Greek literature is how much redundancy there is. Yeah. Ah, It's useful. Quintus of Smyrna's Post-Homerica is another source, um, which is basically alternative tellings of a lot of these stories. So the Little Iliad isn't like a neighborhood in New York City, because I read that and I was immediately like, oh, like Little Italy, the place. (laughs) (laughs) No. um, There are a lot of cool things in the epic cycle that we don't really have, but we have like a pretty good idea of what they were like, which is why we're able to still kind of talk Mm. about them. I I actually talked about this a long time ago in my video on what's the point of the Iliad, where I was like, why does the Iliad start and end where it does? Because it starts and ends in a very weird place if you think about it oh yeah like way after the war starts and way before the war ends like why is that the thing but i don't think achilles even dies before the end like i I think i I put that in the video because i was like yeah and then he dies i mean everyone knows (laughs) but a few people in the comments were like that's not in the book and it's like but it happens (laughs) leave me alone yeah the the iliad is the story of achilles rage and obviously he was an angry boy for his entire life but it starts with the the whole thing with him and agamemnon and it ends with him giving up hector's body and giving it back to priam which is like the symbolic relinquishing of his rage because he's finally able to like display humanity towards this old man who just wants his kid back. So that that's why the Iliad starts and ends where it does. I We should stop. Otherwise, I will keep going about this. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll jump on to another question then. This one comes from Virgil Shush. To Red and Blue, the previous pod's Q&A section featured quite a discussion about previous videos you're embarrassed by or feel you have surpassed. Oh, boy. Flipping the question to a more positive form, what's a video or even part of a video from the embarrassment zone that you're still at least somewhat proud of or able to look at fondly? Hmm. I think we've we've answered this question in another version at one point, and I remember my answer was the, um, oh god, what's his name? The Alcibiades video. I think <laughs> I was like, that one's fun. That one's good. I still stand by that one, even if it doesn't exactly like stand up to my my standards of research anymore. It was fun. Yeah. 
I think the uh, the Eros and Psyche video was probably the first one where I was like, yes, I nailed it. I, I haven't rewatched it in a while, but it, it was one of the first videos of ours to cross a million views, I think. And Yeah, uh, it, it's the video that, that launched us from like 20,000 subscribers to 100,000 in that right. fateful finals week uh, right. many years ago. Yeah, that was bananas. But yeah, I think um, I think that one still holds up. I Sometimes I'll like go back and rewatch Trope Talks, actually, uh, just because... I often don't remember a lot of the stuff I've talked about. So it's like, oh, that was a good point. Nice work, me. But like for the older stuff, like the Embarrassment Zone, I think Eros and Psyche is probably the one where I'm like, yeah, that's pretty solid. Nice. nice. Yeah. Lots of fun stuff back there. This question comes from Mischief of Pikachus. To all, the Lunar New Year was a few days ago, or more than a few days. This question came in a while back. So what are your opinions on the Chinese Zodiac? Do you know what your animal is? Yes. Uh, They're both I, I think rats, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fire rats. Chinese Zodiac is very interesting. Um, it's uh, I, I'm a big fan of any cycle that's like wheels within wheels. And the Chinese Zodiac is very much that. It's like you got the 12 animals, but there's also a five element cycle, which means overall uh, the cycle only repeats every 60 years, which is pretty nifty. And uh, as I briefly mentioned in the uh, in the Zodiac video, the Chinese Zodiac is not determined by, you know, stars exactly where it kind of is uh but it's nominally determined by the orbit of jupiter sometimes called the year star which is cool like that that's a neat use of you know the the planets and how they basically look like stars that move around the other stars like that's a neat thing i I do think it's quite fun that the animals of the chinese zodiac seem to have been selected ages ago like to the point where there are no myths about actually why it's these animals there's only like retcon myths for why it's not these later animals because for instance there's no cat that's weird. Cats are real popular in China. Why is there no cat? I believe the theory is that the 12 animals of the Zodiac were set before the introduction of cats to China. Like, the species. I, it's been a while since I researched this. I did some of the research for the Zodiac video and ended up deciding I couldn't fit it in. So that's a that's a thing. And it's, it's a very cool thing. And I'm intrigued by it. There's a lot of, like, yeah. very, very old art from that area of, like... Like, some of the ancient stuff we can find is like, this is a little dragon with a pig head. That's odd. How cute. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. So those Zodiac animals, hugely cool. Yeah. One of my one of my early experiences with the Zodiac was was a project that we did in like like first or second grade mm -hmm. uh, introducing us to the concept. And we all like did a whole thing about like what animal we are, but we're all in the same grade. Yes. So we were all basically either rat or pig, depending on whether we were born in like 1995 or 1996. So it's like mm -hmm. you basically split us into camps and now we hate <laughs> each other. Like, why did you choose to do this? You've just created factions. <laughs> That's really funny. I, I don't think that happened exactly in, in my experience, but we also did that in like mm -hmm. kindergarten and first grade. And I, I just remember being kind of like, oh man, a rat? Really? Yeah. Like, you know, in, in the race myth, the, the rat wins the race. And I was like, I mean, I guess that's cool, <laughs> but rat? Really? <laughs> um, yeah, like, like it really didn't dragon. help that it was between rat and pig, like the very end, the very start of the cycle, because there was like yeah. there was some real vitriol between the teams of like, oh, look at Slowpoke over there coming in last place. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Whenever I look up like the Zodiac race myth, there, there's so many versions, but in all of them, it's like sucks to be the pig. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. Did you oversleep? Did you overeat? How embarrassing for you. And it's like, whoa, guys, whoa, <laughs> there is no need I to be a, this harsh. I have a very similar problem so. within my own family because because uh, I'm a tiger, but my younger brother is a dragon. And so he's constantly like, Ah, <laughs> oh, you lucky sons of bitches. <laughs> Sucks to be a tiger when you could be a dragon. And I'm like, it doesn't matter that much, man. 
<laughs> that, that's like that's like two really rich people comparing yachts, and I'm just sitting here like, great being a rat, love it. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry that your uh, your astrology assigned for Sona doesn't fit right. <laughs> I'm so oh, sorry I'm... that you're a tiger instead of a dragon. <laughs> oh no! Animals of the zodiac have actually tripped me up a lot in my actual day to day life because I've been I've been studying Chinese in uh, high school and college, and every textbook I've ever had would always have a unit about the Chinese zodiac, and so I was always really good at those animals specifically. Like I know the names of those animals in Mandarin. We got them. We're good. Then I went to Shanghai to study abroad. And I was looking around, like, for words that I know that I could spot. And the animals that are in the zodiac are not necessarily all animals that you need to know the names of day to day. Like, knowing how to say dragon, great for mm. when you want to drop a fun fact about Jake Long, American Dragon's name literally being dragon. <laughs> uh, not great if you're trying to read a menu Is and you need to know the word for shrimp. So, <laughs> shut <it> up. <laughs> That is a very similar experience to what I have with Greek, where it's like, I can read you lines out of, like, Herodotus's history, and I can, like, quote the Iliad at you. I cannot order a uh, chicken souvlaki at the local restaurant to save my life. <laughs> this is like my experience trying to learn Japanese after getting brain poisoned by anime for several years, where it's like, I can be very rude to my teacher, but I can't ask her where the library is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I can talk about stuff being unforgivable or strange, <laughs> but <laughs> fuck if I know if I can ask how to get to the train yeah, station. Yeah, it's... <clears throat> I love it when you get one specific phrase in a language where you're like, I know this by heart, I'm never going to forget this phrase. And then just a slight variant, uh, Chinese in particular is really bad for this because like a slight variant of that phrase is going to be indistinguishable from like other phrases you may know. There were so many times I was in Shanghai and I, I needed like one essential word to make a sentence comprehensible and I just like did not know. So you'd have to like talk around it a lot. With mm. library, for example, I now know the word for library, it's Tushukuan. Oh, uh, excuse my in Japanese, it's Toshokan. It's because books and building are very words. Words that, uh, so Japanese uses uh, a few different, not alphabets, but like writing systems in it. And the oldest one is originally yeah, based yeah, yeah. in classical Chinese, which Mandarin also is. So there's a lot of overlap on like some characters. Right. Like I can read a little Japanese because I can read Mandarin. Not a lot of it, but like key words mm. like love and book are also the same. This is a tangent. Right. <laughs> Basically trying yeah. to uh, <laughs> making up for words that you don't know in a language is always tricky because like, I don't know the word for library, but I need to convey to someone that I'm looking for the library. So it's like, uh, okay, how do I get to the palace of books? Uh <laughs> You <laughs> just kind of try to talk around it. And sometimes people can figure it out, but sometimes they're like, oh, what are you, what are you doing? Go home. That That's is a the great worst way to come feeling. up with like words yeah. for fantasy concepts. It's like, ah, yeah. uh, yes, it, it's stored in the palace of books. <laughs> the, the word palace, please. Oh God. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a worse feeling than trying to explain yourself in a language you don't speak well to someone who understands it very well. <laughs> Who's just like sitting there like, I'll wait. For you to get your shit together and i'm like i'm sorry <laughs> horrifying absolutely mortifying all right <laughs> great now that we have yeah, completely we deviated from the question let's go ahead and ask another one yeah. i call this a rousing success hell yeah <laughs> yes super fun um this question comes from lily to all what is your favorite type of exercise or outdoor activity Ooh. i really like going on walks 
haven't been <laughs> able to do that so much in the past year, but uh, hopefully once it gets nice uh, and then other things happen, I'll be able to go on more walks because I'm used to like college campus experiences. You kind of walk everywhere and then living in, uh, you know, a, a, a smallish neighborhood where everything is in, you know, a 20 minute walk. It's like, yeah, let's go take a walk and then everything's nice. And I, mm -hmm. I used to have like probably like an hour and a half of walking every day, which was great yeah. because I didn't do any other form of exercise. And then suddenly <laughs> when I stopped going on an hour and a half worth of walks every day over, over the course of the day, I'm like, why do I feel so lethargic and terrible? Oh, it's because now I don't exercise at all. At all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, okay, I have like several different answers for this because the exercise I love the most uh, is tumbling, like floor routines, like gymnastics. I think that shit rules. It is so fun. I would do it all the time if I was allowed. I constantly got in trouble when I was a kid for like, doing like fucking dive rolls onto couches. The couch didn't care. The couch was fine. But somehow the furniture matters more than my personal fulfillment. So that shit rules. Uh, but there aren't many opportunities to do it because inconsiderately, most places have like cement on the ground and that hurts. But you know, so, th so that's, that's my like, that's my favorite thing to do just in general, you know, rolls. Um, I, I can never really get into flips, but I, I, I you know, anything cartwheely, flippy, stuff like that. There was a brief period of time where I could do a great handspring, but uh, that, that ship has sailed, sadly. That's the kind of thing you got to <laughs> use or lose. Outdoor activities, I, I like hiking. I don't have enough endurance, I think, to do the really crazy hikes, but I like hiking through like, like crazy mountainy areas rather than just like going on a nice walk in a natural mm -hmm. environment and stopping to you know look at the trees. I, like uh, when we were in Yosemite and then at one point when I was in Wyoming on the dinosaur dig, I was like, I'm in my element. Just let me climb that cliff. I don't care. <laughs> Get me up there. So yeah, you know, just like a lot of things that I unfortunately can't do right now. <laughs> So basically, uh. you see that there are two types of people who like going on walks. There is the, like, Assassin's Creed approach where it's like, oh, look, you're in this city and it's so great. And then there's Red's Breath of the Wild approach where it's like, <laughs> I want to climb that. Let me get on top of that mountain. <laughs> For a while, I had a, a pretty gnarly uh, scar on my inner elbow because I had climbed up a cliff and then I had slid down the cliff. Um, <laughs> and uh, I thought it ruled, but uh, the supervising TA on the dinosaur dig was rather alarmed. <laughs> So Whoops. there's like an action shot somewhere on my phone where like you can already see the dust cloud is getting kicked up because the slide has begun. <laughs> uh, good times. But yeah, yeah. So uh, for outdoor stuff like hiking through like more extreme natural environments, shit rules. Big fan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with Red on this one with the distinct exception of canyons because I hike the Grand Canyon rim to rim because the thing about mountains is like, you know, you're going uphill, right? And uphill kind of sucks. But then you can look forward to going down. Mm -hmm. Canyons are the what? opposite of that shit, okay? <laughs> you you kill your leg muscles going down into the canyon doing a weird thing that your legs aren't used to. And then you get through the canyon and you still have to get back up the other side. I, yeah. I've i never been... I, I didn't really learn my lesson either because I went and hiked another canyon like two weeks later. Oh. But stick to mountains, people. Mountains are your friends. <laughs> I will say <laughs> mountains are actually deceptive because, you know, you get to the top, you're all worn out, the air is thinner, you feel weird... And then you're like, all right, I'm so tired, but you know what? The view's great, and we have to leave if we want to get down before the sun sets, and my legs are like jelly. <laughs> <laughs> I have indeed fallen down mountains at least once. It's, it's deceptive, because it's like, sure, it's all downhill, but you gotta, you know, you gotta be careful, because <laughs> sure, you'll get to the bottom eventually, but you want to do it in one piece. <laughs> you use muscles in your leg that you aren't used to using for that long when you're going down something. 
It's what yep. gets you at the beginning of canyons and the end of mountains, where it's like, you have to stop yourself from falling down the mountain, and that actually takes a lot of effort. Yeah, it's deceptive. It's, it's very tricky. What I'm going to do next time, uh, next time I climb a mountain, fingers crossed, I'm bringing a sled with me, <laughs> and I'm taking that <laughs> the way down. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, good shit. That's just literally yeah, the Breath question. of the Wild approach at that point. You're, you're literally yeah, shield, shield surfing, surfing down <laughs> the shield mountain. Shield surfer paraglider. If I had a shield or a paraglider, my hiking experience would be much more unilaterally pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we have time for one more question today. And I think I think it's been enough time. So I think it's, I think it's time we went back to our old friend, the time oh heist. So this question comes from Clever Name. To whom it may concern, the studio that's producing the time heist will let you get Michael Giacchino to score it, but to increase marketability, they want the movie to include at least some previously released, at least somewhat recognizable songs. What non-score music will feature in the time heist? So what's our soundtrack? Oh. What do we pull in for those like musical sting well, moments? For one of the montage scenes, we will need Gas, Gas, Gas by Initial D. <laughs> and that's non-negotiable. I feel like... It's like movie law that you have to use that slowed down edgy cover of Survivor, you know? I, I think I've seen that one like everywhere. So we got to use that somewhere, possibly for the montage where Monkey decides to come murder us. <laughs> um, seems about right. God, I'm such a huge fan of those edgy slowed down versions of pop songs I that want... they use for trailers. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I feel like our end credit song has to be like the time warp from Rocky Horror. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you know, we do like that, uh, you know, the scores can get super, super quiet at the end and someone's going to deliver their their snappy one-liner and then we cut to black and then credits <laughs> pop up. Just hard cut into the time yep. warp. Into the chorus, too. <laughs> into the of chorus. Course. All the characters are, like, popping in and doing the time warp. Like, you know when, like, the credits are rolling and all the characters are, like, Sometimes. popping in on the side? Alcibiades comes in from, like, screen left and just starts doing the time warp. <laughs> Very whimsical. Yeah. I remember, right. <laughs> what movie was it? There was a movie, I don't even remember what the movie was because I was so flabbergasted that they actually did this, but it used like an edgy, slowed down, dark cover of New Divide, which is already edgy, slow, and dark. <laughs> it was just like Was it bonkers. not Transformers 3? No, no, well, New Divide was for Transformers 2, like the actual movie, but... The, there was a oh, movie. Oh yeah, that... I, sorry. I, I know that like every Transformers movie had its accompanying Lincoln Park song. I forgot which one New Divide was. I think it was God, two or Dark those, of the Moon. All or something. those songs slap so hard. Yeah, right. Man. New Divide <laughs> rules way too hard for that franchise. Uh, but like, the, I, there was a within the last like year or two, there was a movie trailer. I oh, swear, yeah. using I an seen edgy. A movie in a year. <laughs> well, me neither. But you know, the trailers pop up sometimes as like full length YouTube ads, and it was just like an edgy, slowed down, dark version of New Divide, and I was like, Are you? fucking serious i have no idea what movie this is right you're on your own so here good oh i don't want to google it I, but i'm gonna so <laughs> i feel me. like what i'm hearing is we need our own not edgy song to slow down and make edgy for the movie and i would like to pitch uh bring me to life by <gasps> evanescence yes as <laughs> i'm trying to think of like who would be good to cover that alita like, battle angel oh. of course it was alita battle angel <laughs> God damn it. Indigo, you just said bring me to life, and I know how that song goes, but the only thing my brain is supplying is a really slowed down, edgy cover of um, Sweet Escape. So my brain's just like, take me away, but like really edgy. Oh, no, man, God. bring me to life is the wake me up inside yes. one. Can't wake up. I, I, I know, but Save my brain was me. not providing that information for me. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> the little librarians muttering around in there were getting the wrong folders. 
We could I do like the villains dancing because... around song to Sweet Escape. I feel like that's a very like sure, that fuck trend it, of like I... you know how every villain in every movie has to have like the scene that makes them seem really cool because they're like dancing around to a specific pop song like usually by Britney Spears or yeah. something. That's a solid song for like our version of. That. God, I like how they did at this that rate, this movie's gonna have a full script by the end of the yeah. year. <laughs> I, I liked I liked how they did that in Birds of Prey, where Harley Quinn gets a concussion and hallucinates herself doing the "Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend" yeah. thing from that one Marilyn Monroe movie. I was like, wow, she really that rocks that. <laughs> that movie was fun. I feel like okay, I have a lot of opinions on this. I feel like if the song "Bad Guy" by Billie Eilish had come out like five years earlier, it would have been done to death in movie trailers slash in movie uses. Because it's like I mean, it is now. Oh God, really? I hadn't oh, seen yeah. any. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I knew it was coming. I can't coming. name drop any examples, but I've seen a few. Ugh. It's I like, mean, I, um, I knew it was gonna happen. It's like when it's 21 so Pilots perfect. did uh, Heathens for Suicide Squad, and then we had to listen to Christ. 21 Pilots songs in every goddamn trailer for the next five years. It's, it'll circle around eventually. God. I, you know, I felt kind of bad, because at one point I did a live tweet of Suicide Squad, and I was like, of course it's Heathens, and a bunch of people were like, actually, they wrote that specifically for this movie, and I was like, that's not better. <laughs> that's actually worse. <laughs> I mean, we're basically, at this point, just composing our own post-movie AMVs, which I feel like might be putting the cart before the horse a little bit. <laughs> I mean, um, it's it's the time heist movies. It's time traveling. We can time travel back and then put the horse there after we after we get the cart across the finish line. Is Three Days Grace still making songs? Oh, let's find out. Let's Google that one. That's a, that's a pretty good question. God, this podcast has been so off the rails. We are just unhinged. I think we're all down we, just enough sleep <laughs> to have reached that enlightened, that rarefied air of just going I, totally bananas. <laughs> If any psychologist want to just, like, watch the last ten episodes in a row and just, like, track the progression <laughs> downwards in all of us. Mm. Like, originally, we're like, all right, this is kind of new ground, but we're going to try and be professional about this. We're going to try and keep things cool. And now we're just like, yeah, I don't know. Do you think we could make it even slower cover of New Divide? <laughs> I, I remember one of the earliest reviews that we got on the first episode was where someone had described me as having laid back showmanship, which by now is utterly false. Yeah. Anyone who starts out laid back eventually descends into absolute feral territory. Uh, I, I feel like the, the podcast is not good for like my image of being like the well, honestly, like I, I had been like the sweet cinnamon bun of OSP for a while. And <laughs> now I'm just one. turning into the absolute disaster that I've always been. But now everyone can see <laughs> well, it. Well, hear it because this is an audio. I mean, I, I've been sliding into gremlinhood just as fast. So I think by comparison, you're still the chill one. Sorry, what was that, Indigo? Oh, I was just saying they, they can't see us. They can only hear us because this is a podcast. But also, Three Days Grace is still making music. And uh, and not only are they making what? music, but they recently did a cover of somebody that I need to, somebody that I used to know. Yes! Wow. <laughs> ah, Return of the King, baby! <laughs> so there's our song for the movie right there. It's a Three Days Grace cover of somebody that I used to know. Oh, good lord. God, that I, song was so good. Like, I know that it was just like a really... It, no, I'm I'm not I'm not getting into this. I, <laughs> we've gone on too many tangents. It's a good no. song. I'll end it there. You know, that, that kind of reminds me. Uh, they used like this utterly bananas cover of Toto's Africa yes. in uh, Aquaman. Yes. And I think they used it because maybe they couldn't get the rights to actual Africa. <laughs> so they had to use like the weird Pitbull cover version. Which is so funny because like a year later, Weezer did a Toto's Africa cover. Just like unprompted. What? Yeah. Weezer? <laughs> Weezer did a cover of Africa. And then Toto covered one of uh, Weezer's songs. They did an exchange. But like several weeks offset, so it seemed like Weezer dropped their cover, and then Toto was like, "We can do that too. Thank you very much." 
Wow. Do you think we could find a way to, to work in the limp biscuit cover of Behind Blue Eyes? <laughs> okay, here's my pitch for the sort of overarching soundtracks. I think we sort of started to take the form of Oh my of god, it. we cannot keep doing this. <laughs> we exclusively do cover songs of other more famous, like, so we do like the Limp Biscuit oh. cover. We do exclusively artists covering other artists and genres they normally wouldn't cover. And that is our soundtrack for the Ooh. movie. I think that works. <laughs> Or, we can try to get or, bardcore in that's there. a dumb idea and I hate it. Here's a better idea. <laughs> Everything is bardcore. Yeah. <laughs> Soundtrack provided by Hildegard von Blingen. Amazing. Uh, sorry, Indigo, that was needlessly harsh. I just hey, it's not good. Needlessly harsh is the cover of my autobiography. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> well, we have gotten, uh, we have just about lost our minds and we are also at just about time. So we should probably uh, uh, wrap it there. Fred, you want to take us home? <laughs> Alrighty. I think that's a Crap. good idea. All right. Well, since last time I did such a good job without the script, I think it's only fair that once again I, I, I test my limits. Red off script. Test my ability. This wants right. to go even further beyond. <laughs> exactly. Saying three sentences. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> thank you all so much for listening. And if you want more of that sweet, sweet OSP content, we've got a channel, which I assume you probably already know about. Um, and I think it might be linked somewhere, or if not, you could always Google it. We're pretty high up in the results these days. Uh, if you want to ask us a question, we have a dedicated room in the channel Discord called Ask OS Pod. You can just pop in there and ask us a question. If you're one of our patrons, your question might be first on the list, which is pretty nifty. Um, yeah, so we, we'll be back in two weeks with another podcast episode. You probably know that by now. These things have been coming up bi-weekly for like, you know four months now anyway until that day i have been red i've been blue i swear we're okay it's just been a long february guys <laughs> Feb- god we're, i mean we're gonna be in march by the time this goes up that's i know <laughs> uh, yeah so this has been an overly sarcastic podcast see y'all later thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the overly sarcastic podcast also known as the Time Heists Writer's Room. We'll be back on March 17th, hopefully with our sanity intact, but you can catch all the OSP goodness your heart desires on our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really liked the show, consider joining our Patreon. Questions for the Q&A can be left in Ask OS Pod on Discord. And as always, links to all of the above will be in the show notes below.